0: My name is Benjamin Kitchings, and this is the History Voyager. As always, the resilient podcasts out there, thank you very, very much for listening to mine. Let's dive in, shall we? I've recorded approximately five and a half completed 30 minute podcasts on what I'm about to talk about. One of them was all the way up to an hour. I I just, I can't. This is a case of, I really have these concepts in my head. And I honestly don't know how to link them to my voice. I have a myriad of thoughts. Which, on this topic. On the George Floyd and Ahmed Aubrey killings. And on police killings in general. And I've tried linking them up with statistics. And I've tried talking about them from the gut. And I've tried a mixture of the two. But I struggle to get around a central core fact. And that is that I'm a white man talking about black people being killed by the police. And somehow that just doesn't sit well with me. It, it doesn't sit well with me to talk about that in a cold and calculated way. And I think there's a lot of people that feel the same way I do about that. Because I want to talk about it, but I don't feel like it's my experience. I don't feel like I have any right to talk about it. Even though I have a channel, I have a platform... So I feel like I have to. I want to talk about it in sort of hopeful terms. But then again, I'm old enough to remember the Rodney King killings. You know, and the thing that came out of that, to the extent that possibly anything came out of it at all, aside from the LA riots, was a wave of gentrification. And do I think that's going to come out of this, out of these killings? Well, possibly. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd were killed in Brunswick, Georgia, and Minneapolis, Minnesota, respectively. Um, George Floyd's killing was caught on video and he was crying for help and his last words were apparently to his mother and Auburn Aubrey was killed by two people who worked for the Brunswick DA's office or had at least done that in the past and I don't know I, I think every time I see something like that there's part of me that was trained in public school and around you know the civil rights era education wise to, to think that you know positive change can come out of horrible outcomes and that's that is true to a certain extent but I don't know uh, you know and then there's a part of me that looks at it in terms of well, these killings happened in the day and age of social media, and they did, and there's riots going on that was spawned partly by social media, and so that's a factor. But I also, you know, I see people looking at what I'm going to call the the cyber looters, or these these folks that that show up in the in the black hoodies and the in the backpacks. And some folks see that as the communist revolution that they wanted or the leftist revolution that they wanted. And some folks see it as sort of this right wing revolution. And some folks see it as as looters. And do I think those looters are going to create lasting political change. I certainly do not. Let me say that right now. I absolutely don't. But I do think that they're going to cause societal change. I mean, anybody who's studied uh, looting at all and protests at all would say that the protests in the 60s and the you know the riots around the um the rodney king protests slash riots certainly paved the way for gentrification there was a um a newsman i saw recently who said that the trouble with these protests is it's like self-immolation it's like you're burning your own community except that it, it appears that some of this burning of communities might not be burning of your own community. It might be people coming in from out of town and burning and basically egging the police on. And they're doing some destruction. The share shared the destruction. And I don't know, I, I kind of, I see this and I see it as two different issues. Really. One issue is sort of a backlash about gentrification and a backlash about police brutality. And another is a, a community that is nationally very, very frustrated. And they grew, in, you know, perhaps increasingly frustrated because there's a narrative that says that the black community is, has gained a lot politically and socially in the since the Civil Rights Movement. And that is undeniably true. I mean, you don't have um, separate drinking fountains and things like that. But, you know, segregation, though not necessarily codified in law or really custom... Happens now more than ever you're, you're less likely now to, to go to school in an integrated school than you were in the 1970s uh, for example if you're a kid and numerous scholars have written about this for ages most notably of course uh, Kevin Cruz with his book White Flight and the thing that that gets me, the thing that continually gets me, is how, whenever one of these happens, whenever one of these protest movements about police brutality happens, you always inevitably get the same sort of, well, hopefully now, you know, we can come together, sort of around the idea that we need to. Um, You know, that we need to be honest about the police brutality in the African-American community. And, you know, as a white man, I'm here to tell you that I don't know that that's going to happen. If it does happen, it won't happen from on high. It'll happen because the average American wants it not to happen anymore it'll happen because we want to evolve as a culture as a society away from racism away from fear and hatred of other people that that we're not or that don't look like us or don't have our religion or whatever i remember when the trayvon martin killing happened And I remember learning about, for lack of a better word, the relationship that Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman had, which was to say that George Zimmerman was very, very, very distrustful of of black people. And you might even honestly say that, as memory serves, he was distrustful of pretty much a lot of people in his neighborhood, I remember that there was some amazing thing that came out about him where he had called the police about 99, you know, separate things, and they ranged everywhere from there was a neighbor that left the light on to things, you know, nobody ought to call the police about for sure. And one of the things that George Zimmerman said to one of the 911 operators, if memory serves was he was concerned about his property values because, this, because of this kid. And the thing that struck me about that was... The thing that struck me honestly was what must George Zimmerman's neighbors think about him? I mean, you know, if, if you're calling the police about 99 different things... You're probably not exactly, you know, the neighbor of the year, if you know what I'm saying. But that gets around to another thought. And, curiously, that's the thought that some of these protesters, that I've seen in the pictures all across America, I'm talking now about the, the George Floyd and Ahmed Aubrey protest, I've seen these images of these protesters and they're protesting their rent or they're protesting, you know, something else that really doesn't have a lot to do with police brutality. It has to do with their personal economic situation. But it gets me to thinking how perhaps we are looking at this through the wrong lens that we keep wanting to to boil things down economically. And I don't know that we can do that. What I see a little bit is this idea that, unlike with Trayvon Martin, the George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery killings happen to be taking place at a time when, I guess, the, the general mood of the country is a lot more sour. And so people are, are trying to piggyback... Like their grievances, or their, I guess their group's grievances, on the back of, um, you know, the, this police brutality, which happens. I mean, I was looking up the statistics, the published statistics for Minneapolis, and even though that, you know, the black people in Minneapolis are 20% of the population, they're 60% of the of the published police brutality claims and even even the report says that the the claims are likely higher they're just not reported um so that's i mean you know that's what we need to focus on here is is the fact that this is systemic and it's systematic in ways that I I don't think a lot of white people, certainly I wasn't really aware of it until I started, started really researching it. But um, I think we need to think about the role of law enforcement in our communities and what law enforcement does and perhaps the way it does it and to whom it does it. And I'm not one of these people that would ever suggest that, you know, I mean, I'm here to tell you that police are are a vital service to to a community. I mean, you know, here to tell you that right now. So I'm not one of these people that says, you know, you need to defund the police at all. Uh, But I do think there needs to be maybe some changes. And here's something I want to get into uh, right now is... I don't know what those changes are, and I think a lot of people think they know what solutions ought to be, but I don't think, I mean, I wouldn't begin to know what to do. And I think it would be refreshing for people to say that, especially white people, to say, I want to change things, but I don't know how. Instances of police brutality reporting have gone up dramatically since the advent of the smartphone which you know makes all the sense in the world because people have a video camera in their pocket I mean Rodney King the beating of Rodney King was reported by somebody with a camcorder who was actually recording a child's birthday party at the time and I remember distinctly the judge in the case had said that you know, these camcorders cannot lie. And essentially, like, you know, they have to tell the truth. There's something he said. Like, tape has to tell the truth. Which, speaking as somebody who used to make documentaries, that's that's an interesting assertion there. But I take his point. The point he was trying to make is that now we have these mechanisms by which to record the world around us so let's please use it you know and I also think that a lot of this needs to happen essentially out of the open I mean the report I read about the police brutality in Minnesota even said in the abstract of the report that It was really impossible to know if, was this all the police brutality there was, which was a huge percentage if you think about it. You know, apparently you're seven times more likely to be physically assaulted by the police in Minneapolis if you're black than if you're white. And according to the report that I read, you know, the the troubling thing was that that was the reported assaults. There wasn't all of them. And the other thing you've got to think is that even though we are changing in society, I mean, you look at the interracial marriages and, like, the interracial children. There's a lot of those. I read a report once that if you're of a certain age, I forget what the age is, you're more likely to have a partner. You're Essentially, you're more likely to have a partner of a different race than you are a partner with a smartphone that is either uh like a separate operating system from you so like apple people tend to marry apple people and android people tend to marry android people so to say but you know that's that's an interesting note of progress that you know to, to show you that interracial couples are rapidly for some for some generations becoming the norm But I I think, in fact, I know, especially in the light of the world in which we live in today, in 2020, there's people that push back against that. There was that case of the woman in Central Park who, you know, openly said, I'm going to call the police on you because you don't want my dog to, you know, whatever, that obnoxious dog in Central Park (laughs) and there was video of that and that to me was I mean this is like a weapon that people use against black people it's just amazing and you know I I mean I've known that before I had a a roommate in college who was black he would show me these videos on Facebook of like police brutality that people would were sharing on Facebook and it, it, it was amazing some of that some of it was absolutely stunning like the level to which the level of contempt that these people had just just for people existing you know even even in, in this modern day and age was just absolutely for me as a white person that was the first time I'd ever become aware of something like that to that extent and I think a lot of this, I want to say it could be handled by education, but I don't know. I really don't know if it could be handled by education or not. Um, and I think a lot of people need to say that phrase a lot more, I don't know. I don't think we say that a lot. I don't think we say I don't know a whole lot as anything other than a rhetorical weapon. Now, if I were a normal podcaster or a normal talker on this topic I would put something now into the talk about how if we're gonna move forward blah 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 except that I have a deep understanding of history very very deep understanding of history I know that movement doesn't have to be forward and I know that Movement that is forward doesn't have to include all people, or even most people. So, you know, I'm not really sure what hopeful note I can leave, except to say that more and more people gradually, I know, painfully gradually, uh, seem to find this behavior perpetrated by people towards people of color to be far more reprehensible than they did, you know, in earlier years. And change, especially cultural change, is slow and, and painful. Um, I know that, realistically, I mean, I can cherry-pick things out of society and say well well this changed and that wouldn't have changed before so we must live in a better time but i know that that's cherry picking and i also know that a lot of police brutality happens outside of the gaze of of basically society or the mainstream media or whatever but one of the things that I've really been exploring ever since, ever since I've really had this this podcast, was what exactly is mainstream media? Uh, where where exactly does that does the mainstream media stop and non mainstream media start? I mean, you know. I've certainly seen things on Twitter during these riots that are happening now that I can look in the stats and I can tell you have been seen by millions and millions of people. Um, So, the only thing I can suggest is, and it's a suggestion, is the only way to end police brutality such as this is to to raise awareness of it and the only way to raise awareness is to boost the signal um, but you know do I think that's going to happen? Sure yes I think it's going to I think the signals are going to get boosted and I think gradually more and more people are going to find this out and find it to be reprehensible and all this other stuff and something that needs to stop but i also you know when you think about american society and you think about especially the dominant american society you know you begin to ask yourself if we were a nation economically viable because of slavery which is the god's honest truth this country would not have been economically viable if it weren't for slavery. You know, how long do we have to go on having blacks as second-class citizens in their own country? I don't know the answer to that. And, you know, that's the God's honest truth. And that's what's so uncomfortable for me is that I don't know the answer. All right. I think I'm jabbed enough. So I'll talk to you guys later.